please turn to Acts chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10 this morning. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. We ask, Lord, for your help and guidance as we look into your word this morning. Help us to focus on some principles here that I'm sure Luke assumed all his readers knew, but many today have forgotten. So help us, Lord, to see your light, to see our Lord. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Last week we looked or focused in on the idea of baptism, what was taught here in this passage. After some disciples, if you recall, there was a man in Corinth by the name of Apollos, and he only knew John's baptism. And after some discipling, he understood and became a follower, a powerful minister of the gospel in Corinth and Achaia, he understood that John's baptism was limited. It was supposed to be a sign of something better to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our text, we see this morning that Paul met some disbelievers in Ephesus. And like Apollos, they also only knew of John's baptism. And Paul taught them John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. As we looked at last week, we learned a couple of basic principles. Looking back, as we did last week, looking back at the history of baptism or ceremonial washing, they didn't call it baptism in the Hebrew language or in Israel, ceremonial washing. The first thing that we can know about ceremonial washing of the Hebrew is this. 
if you were an Israelite and you wanted to approach God, you had to be pure. Your sins had to be confessed. You had to bring an offering, a sacrifice. You had to be clean. And the second thing, if you were an Israelite and you wanted to serve God, the ceremonial washing also set you apart from everyone else. And as we made a New Testament application of that for each and every one of us, if you were a New Testament believer, if you were a modern Christian, if you want to belong to God, baptism sets you apart from everyone else. I don't care how much water you use. I don't care how, what kind of method you use for baptism. It sets you apart from everyone else. By faith, you are marked. You belong to God, specifically Christ Jesus. Just a few more comments on baptism, and then we want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But allow me to pray before we go much farther. Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you may help us speak to our hearts as we look into your word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I had the opportunity in high school, a long, long time ago, to take a music appreciation class. Some of you may have had that in high school. Some of you may have had it in college. I was, in, I was introduced during that class time to some things, to some music that kind of made me remember some things. I remember as our instructor played a portion or some of Johann Strauss' Tales from the Vienna Woods, Opus 325. He also introduced us to another one of Strauss's beautiful orchestrations called the Blue Danube. I was familiarized. I'd heard it many times before, but I never knew who wrote it or what it was called. The Minute Waltz by Chopin. Overture from the Barber of the Seville and Overture from the Flying Dutchman. Wonderful operas where people had gathered and even cheered the composer and the performers. Very old music, very classical music. But as I heard these in this music appreciation class, I, I've heard this before hundreds of times. In Bugs Bunny cartoons. Myself as a young boy, I like watching Popeye, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. Indeed, children of all ages found those things entertaining. But in those cartoons, things were introduced to my childhood. I had no appreciation for them whatsoever. It's just background music to a bunch of silly characters dancing on the screen. There were elements in those cartoons that were for older, mature minds. Once I acquired some maturity, in other words, when I finally grew up a little bit, and I got some understanding, in other words, I got some education, I developed a deeper appreciation for the music. 
I knew where it came from. I knew why it was written. I knew how people really enjoyed it. And it helped me enjoy the cartoons a whole lot more. We as Christians learn things as newborn babes in Christ, children in faith. And we are taught by pastors and teachers and elders in the church, and we grasp, we struggle at understanding their value, their importance, and we don't always get it. Things like baptism and the Lord's Supper and catechisms and the doctrines. But we are admonished again and again and again throughout Scripture to learn of the Lord, to know his word. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Listen, to perceive, to understand the words of understanding. To receive instruction and wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is just two verses, two brief passages that tell us you should know God and his word. Because the converse of that in Proverbs 1 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I don't know that any of us would own up to being a fool when it comes to knowing God. We all want to believe that what He tells us is true, but we need to understand. We need to be careful that we get truth from His Word before we get it from any man. Baptism is one of the two sacraments the Lord ordained. The second is the Lord's Supper. They both are full of promise from God. Our petition, participation in them does not save us. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Participating, coming to the table of the Lord's Supper doesn't save anyone. But they both are a public testimony saying that by faith I trust in my Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are similar to an engagement ring. They are public displays of God's promise to us to save and to redeem, to keep and to protect, to provide for. I don't know about you. I've seen stories about a young girl or a young woman hoping to be married someday, and she gets her heart gets a little twitter-pated over some guy she knows, and she doesn't really think that he even knows she exists, but she kind of goes into this fantasy, and she starts writing in her diary her name next to his last name. I don't know if any of you have ever done that as young ladies, someone you really are interested in, and you, you go ahead and change your last name to his. About a month ago, I met one of my new neighbors, an elderly lady, and 
I'm not going to, very wonderful person, very dear person, but she has one of those four-syllable German names that when you pronounce it, it sounds like rattling a bunch of machine parts around in a crate. And I wondered when I thought about this, did she do that when she was a young girl, thinking about him? This will be my name. She really had to love him. We need to think about our faith in Christ the same way. You bear his name. You bear his identity. That's what baptism means. That's what the Lord's Supper communicates to you. Looking at our text this morning, there were many followers of God. We talked about Apollos in chapter 18. We're talking about the Ephesian disciples who were baptized in John's baptism, a baptism that pointed to repentance, that reminded them that there was someone else coming, and they were not even aware yet. These disciples at Ephesus did not even know that the Holy Spirit existed. John was a good prophet. But he was not the final prophet. John was the best man preparing the way for the coming groom. And the groom had arrived. The groom had, through redemption, rescued his bride from damnation. And promised one day a glorious consummation. Forever. When John came as a prophet, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Some in Corinth and in Ephesians were confused. They thought that John's baptism was enough. They thought for a little while that his baptism was final. And they were going to be as obedient to that as they could. For practical purposes, many Christians do the same thing today. I'm going to say some things that I'm going to step on some toes. Please don't take it personally. There are some people who trust in the teaching of Joel Osteen. Whatever he says is good enough for me. There are some people who trust in the teaching of T.D. Jakes. Whatever he says, that's good enough for me. There are some people who trust in the teaching of Beth Moore. Whatever she says, that's good enough for me. There are others who believe that anyone who teaches and preaches health, health, wealth, and prosperity and miracle gifts, that's what I follow. That's just like saying, I don't believe the word of God. I'm following their baptism. I'm not following the baptism of Christ. Because what they teach is in conflict to what the Bible teaches. It is in conflict to the light that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you. Would you just read your Bible?
when such Christians say, I believe in these people, they are saying, for all practical purposes, they are saying, I am baptized into their baptism. Such people want the material blessings of this world. They don't appreciate the blessing of the presence of God. They may say they do, but they are following God who they think is going to provide them with comfort and wealth and prosperity. That is an idol. That is not a true God. They are identifying with a false prophet. The Apostle Paul addressed this very thing. He does it gently here, but when you apply it to modern, what goes on in the modern church today, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of, Paul, of Apollos, are you not carnal? Are you not of the flesh? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God is the one who has called you. God is the one who has redeemed you. And your first allegiance, your first identity is to Jesus Christ, his son, your savior. And you need to be seeking the light of the Holy Spirit to understand his word and his truth. The Lord himself in John chapter 10 talks about the thief who comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. In other words, the false prophet comes to lie and to deceive. That's what he's talking about here. And the Lord followed that up by saying, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. He is not, as some would try and convince you, he is not teaching you that you're going to have abundant wealth and prosperity. He is teaching you that he is going to give you abundantly of his love, his mercy, his grace, and his presence. You don't need wealth and prosperity. Jesus also said to his disciples, balancing out this promise of great blessing, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When Jesus was teaching about a man taking up his cross. Every citizen under Roman rule during that day knew that that meant that's a death sentence. Die to self. Identify with Christ. We're talking about finding maturity, growing up in Christ. We're talking about finding some understanding, learning of his word and truth, in order that we might have a deeper appreciation of what God has to offer us. We're 
turning back to our text to talk about the Spirit and the Word, the Apostle Paul asked these disciples at Ephesus, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. down in verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. We are seeing in this account a recorded, recorded evidence of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and we need to stop and pause here. What is going on? A great deal of confusion and wrong teaching on the Holy Spirit is drawn out of this or put into. We don't want to eisegete, put into Scripture. We want to exegete. What is he teaching here? We have to balance this Scripture with other Scriptures. Asking ourselves, does this still happen? Well, first of all, we need to understand that this was prophesied. It was foretold. In Joel chapter 2, the prophet said, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Notice the language of baptism is used here, talking about how the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Miraculous things were happening. Then, those were unique times. Prophecy was being fulfilled. A new kingdom was being established and inaugurated. But we must remember, certain things that were happening then were destined to be temporary. Certain teaching was ordained to be provisional. But it is unfortunate to see how so many people, so many pastors and Christian leaders today put too much into that. They want to be as influential as Paul. They think they have a right to be. I would certainly want to see, I long to see, I pray for that God would reveal his power in your lives and in the lives of people in this community that that Holy Spirit would draw hundreds if not thousands to salvation and repentance. That would be wonderful to see. But that would be God's work, not mine. But that is my prayer.
Traditions from some Christian denominations have been forced upon the church, and some of these traditions are not Bible teaching. It might have been drawn from Bible history, but it's not Bible teaching. It's not for our time. It's not for our day. Gifts of the Holy Spirit or the miracle gifts, and especially gifts of tongues, are very often considered the second blessing. Have you received your second blessing? Have you ever been asked that? It's proof. It's assurance of your salvation to receive the second blessing. You can lose Jesus if you don't have your second blessing. If you're not able to get confused and fall on the floor and holler and wail and thrash around, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm not making fun. That's what happens. But the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinth that God is not the author of confusion. But these churches continue to be persistent, and they are everywhere, and they aren't going away. We don't agree at all with their teaching on the Holy Spirit. Therefore, most of the Christian church have fallen back to that posture of we'll just have to agree to disagree. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a little too relaxed. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, the Apostle Paul said, Love never ends. As for prophecies, he's talking about foretelling, not foretelling. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What is Paul talking about when the perfect comes? What was to come? First of all, it was the written word of God. And then also the coming of the Lord Jesus. But right now, we have the written word of God. And we've already read this morning our words of our Lord Jesus, saying that I will give you the Holy Spirit who will lead you and teach you all truth. This is the same Holy Spirit that has been given to all who receive Christ as Lord. This is the same Holy Spirit that was delivered to the believers at Pentecost and in the house of Cornelius, and again here at Ephesus. This is the same Holy Spirit that empowered them to do miraculous things. It has also done a very miraculous thing for you. It's brought your dead soul to life. It's changed your rebellious, sinful heart and attitude to a submissive, faithful, longing heart the Lord Jesus. That is a miracle. Do not neglect it. During Paul's day, the Holy Spirit was authorized by God to pour out in such a powerful way 
in order to temporarily fulfill prophecy. The Word of God was being preached and the Holy Spirit power was clearly evident in order that all would know the reality of God's power and authority. God, in His authority and for His sovereign purpose, was demonstrating His power through tongues and miracles. Why was that necessary then? Particularly in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a spiritual fortress in a very bad way. We're going to learn about that when we get further, a little bit further in Exodus, in, in Acts. It's right around the corner. But Ephesus was the city that kept the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana, depending on whether you were Greek or Roman. Ephesus was a hive of idol factories. Ephesus believed in the mysterious arts of the spiritual realm. We would equivocate that to witchcraft. So God working in miraculous ways through the power of the Holy Spirit was just revealing his sovereign authority over all the world and his ability to conquer the darkness. Within the text, within this text and in several places in scripture, the Holy Spirit and the word of God. I'm going to use a term here. A term here I need to explain it. Apposition. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God are in apposition to one another. I said apposition, not opposition. A-P-P-O-S-I-T-I-O-N. Apposition is a term used in grammatical structure in which two usually adjacent subjects or nouns have the same reference stand in the same syntactical relation to the rest of the sentence. You can talk about two things in a sentence, and usually we will put the priority of the one listed first in the sentence over the one that was came, comes after. But when you're talking about the Word and the Spirit, Scripture often refers to them as equal. Equal authority even equal power, equal power. So we can talk about the Word and the Holy Spirit, or we can talk about the Holy Spirit and the Word. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is your, your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go away, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is only going to guide you into the word, into the truth of God's word. He's not going to give you anything new. He's not going to give you any new light. He's not going to tell you anything that's going to contradict the word of God. He's going to point you to Christ and to his truth. 
It is the same Holy Spirit that illuminated the church then. It is the same Holy Spirit that is in the heart of every believer today. The only difference is prophecy was fulfilled then in a very mighty way. Prophecy is fulfilled now in a very quiet and gentle way. And yet, your life is still changed. Your life should continue to change. Your understanding should continue to grow and mature in order that you might have a deep appreciation of what Christ has done for you. The Holy Spirit is not a luxury, not something added now and again to produce a deluxe type of Christian once in a generation. He is for every child of God a vital necessity. That's a quote by A.W. Tozer. The Holy Spirit is not a luxury. He is not something added now and again to produce a deluxe type of Christian once in a generation. He is for every child of God a vital necessity. You need the Holy Spirit and you need his word and the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. You cannot realize the light of the Word of God without light from the Holy Spirit. To put it in using a modern term, you cannot experience the light of the Word of God without the light of the Holy Spirit. I must identify with Christ before anyone else. You cannot identify, and here again, I'm going to step on some toes. Don't take it personally. You must identify with Christ before anyone else. You cannot identify with Joel Osteen. You cannot identify with Creflo Dollar. You cannot identify with Benny Hinn. You cannot identify with David Jeremiah. You cannot identify with Charles Stanley. You cannot even identify with the late R.C. Sproul before you identify with Jesus Christ. You cannot even identify with Pastor Dave before you identify with Jesus Christ. Do you want to know the wisdom of God? Fall on your knees before him. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to teach you. And use these resources to help you. But seek him first. Very quickly, let me share just a few signs about the Holy Spirit at work. We don't see the reality of it so well anymore because what we read in Scripture, the very wonderful, miraculous, exciting things we read about don't always happen. Miraculous signs from Paul's day have ceased, and the popular signs today are false. One of the signs of the Holy Spirit at work, as we mentioned this last week, is wherever people are sincerely hungry for the knowledge of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is already there. We saw it in the life of Apollos. We've seen it in the lives of these disciples at Ephesus. This last week, 
I was able to connect up with a very old friend of mine I knew back in my youth. I had not seen him in years, and he was talking to me about he was at university. He was studying to be a uh, physical education teacher, and he remembered he and a few of his friends were sitting on the trampoline doing a Bible study. He was reading Ephesians 1, how Christ loved him before the foundation of the world. And he said he started to cry. And he realized right then the light of God's truth opened his mind and his heart. And he knew what salvation meant for him. Those are the moments you and I need to be desiring. Those are the moments you and I need to be finding. Whenever people are sincerely hungry for the knowledge of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is already there, and he will teach you. He will guide you. Is the Holy Spirit at work in your heart? Are you hungry to know him? What is it like to take his name as your very own? Another sign that the Holy Spirit is at work is that those who are hungry to know no longer hate the true God. If you're lost, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you might think that you believe God, but if you have not recognized yourself a sinner and in need of his mercy and grace, you're not there yet. And you're at a very high risk. Indeed, you probably already have. If you're lost, you've are, if you believe in God at all, you've made a God that fits you, that suits you, that makes you comfortable, that does not require you to repent. That is a false God. And you're liable to resist or even hate the God who would call you to repentance and call you one who would identify your sin and your need. I don't like that God. I want one that makes me warm and comfortable, one that soothes me. If the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and in your life, you're no longer going to hate that true God. If you've received him as your Savior, you know what he's already done for you. That true God is a father that loves and if you truly love someone, you're going to make sure they do what is proper and right and good. That father is a father that disciplines, that corrects, that teaches, that disciples. Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord dis disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I remember both my mom and dad. I grew up in the generation where they, we revered mom and dad so much, loved them dearly, but we respected them so much they would say, go out in the bush and bring me a switch. Like a dummy, I'd go out and get it. We don't have children like that anymore. My parents loved me, and when I did wrong, they wanted to correct me, and when I did wrong again, 
they corrected me with a little more stern hand. That's what God does for us. Our Father in heaven does for us. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom, he, whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're not sons of God. Do you recognize discipline in your own life? Do you receive it gladly and willingly? Sometimes discipline isn't harsh discipline. Sometimes God just says no to your prayers. I wonder what my life would have been like, would be like today if God said yes to some of my prayers. I'd be in a mess of trouble, I know, for a few specific ones. If you're hungering for the word of the Lord, hungering to understand, the Holy Spirit is working. If you are accepting the discipline that God brings to your life, the Holy Spirit is already working. It takes maturity. It takes some understanding, some wisdom in order to gain a deeper appreciation, a deeper understanding of what God is doing for you. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord in heaven, for your truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and his power in our lives. Let us, let us gain a sensitive spirit, Lord, in order that we might discern when he is at work in our lives. Let us be devoted to you, faithful to you, always growing, always learning, always praising. It is in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus we pray. Amen.